Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of The Scoop. I'm your host Sam Miller and we are back for another episode. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to last week's episodes yet, make sure that you go ahead and do that first and then you can come back to this episode. And if you're still here, I'm assuming that you've already done that. So I'm excited to bring you another new episode. Today we're going to be discussing one of the most well-known and infamous Hollywood rivalries and that is between Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. And while there have been a number of rivalry, this now, see, I'm going to leave that in because I'm going to tell you already, the word rivalries is going to have like a chokehold on me throughout this episode, so just be prepared for that. I'm going to try to find a different word to use. Anyway, while there have been a number of rival rivalries in Hollywood between actors, none of these were quite like the one held between Crawford and Davis. So let's dive into the feud and unpack why these two had it out for each other and where it all began. the feud, I feel like it's only right that I give you a bit of a background about each of them just so that you can kind of get caught up to speed on who we're talking about. And just like the last episode, I can't afford to get sued, so I gotta be a bit careful about the things I say. And I don't feel like getting haunted by either of them. So there's that. And I'm not gonna go super deep into each of them individually because since I do probably I'll probably do an episode about at least Crawford and the whole mommy dearest thing. So be on the lookout for that, but I do recommend that if you like what you hear today or if you want to learn more about the feud and kind of see it in real time, um, check out the FX series Feud. It's super good. I think it's on Amazon, maybe? Could be wrong, but I think it's there. So, First, let's talk about Ruth Elizabeth Davis, aka Betty Davis, born in 1908 in Massachusetts. Early on, she started out on Broadway and eventually moved to Hollywood in 1930. And after being in several movies that flopped, hashtag high flop, she finally got her breakout role in 1934 in the film of Human Bondage. And in the following year, she won an Academy Award for her role in Dangerous. About here's where I'm going to stop with her introduction because it's around this time that her feud with Crawford begins. Moving on to Crawford, born Lucille Fade. She is one of those last names that I think looks French and it probably isn't. It's Lissauer? Lissauer? I apologize. I'm butchering it so bad. I always do that. I always butcher these names and I try to like look it up ahead of time to make sure that I don't, but I do it every time and so apologies. 
but she was born in Texas in an unknown year, which is kind of interesting because it's sometime between 1904 and 1908. Her headstone reads 1908, but it's been cited on multiple different occasions to be different dates, all ranging between 1904 and 1908, so who knows? But just like Davis, she started off on Broadway and in 1925 signed a deal with MGM. And initially, they really annoyed her and made her feel super frustrated because they weren't really giving her a whole lot of opportunities. So she started off with a self-publicity campaign to kind of help herself, like, get their attention and everything. And so she was known as a flapper during that stage. And this campaign worked in her favor and it helped her kind of catch the attention of... originally bypassing her for other people in the industry at that time and in the same year she landed a role in Sally Irene and Mary which was an Edmund Golding film and she made her first impression with audiences. So one thing that you're going to notice throughout this episode is that both Davis and Crawford both were notorious for being super incredibly jealous of anyone and everything that they wanted and didn't have. If someone else had it, they needed to have it. And that was particularly Crawford. So she, from the very beginning of her career, named several people that she considered to be her nemesis. Um, Not necessarily personally, um, mostly just professionally, um, specifically Norma Shearer, and she stated, how can I compete with Norma? She sleeps with the boss. So for the rest of this episode, I'm going to try a slightly different setup. I might not like it. But it, I mean, I think it'll be okay. If I don't like it, you'll never hear this. But if I do like it, then I'm keeping this in just so that you know. Um, the setup I had before was not cute. And so this is a little bit of an upgrade, hopefully. So before we can get really into like the meat and potatoes of everything, we need to say these two have so much in common. And I, I don't know that everyone realizes that. So both of them started out on Broadway. And in the early days of their career, they had a really hard time getting started, and both of them were forced to change their name to be more marketable in the industry. And people always say that you're not, I don't know what the exact phrasing is, but like, you're less likely to get along with people that are like, exactly like you. And so that might be part of the reason why they just didn't mesh well. That and them both being like, insanely jealous of everyone and so for both Crawford and Davis a lot of the enemies that they had were purely on a professional level so these were people that they had to compete against for roles in films and other opportunities in the industry but for both Crawford and Davis their feud together it was both professional and personal and 
It might have started before this date, but this is kind of largely when it's cited as 1933 as the start of it all. So, in 1933, Davis was at an all-time career high, and she was about to take part in a publicity campaign with Warner Brothers to announce her role in the upcoming comedy film X-Lady. Well, Crawford decided, what better time to announce her divorce with actor Douglas Fairbanks Jr. than the same day that the film was supposed to be announced? So, the divorce ended up being all the media could talk about. And as a result, Davis was only given like a little bit of coverage about the film, but every newspaper was just flooded with the divorce. So the film, due to it not getting much attention, was dropped from theaters just a week later because it had horrible viewing, like nobody was coming to watch this thing. And it's said from here that this is where David really started to hate Crawford. So it wasn't but two years later that Joan was like, you know what, Davis, Betty, is that stab wound healed from when I stole your thunder in 1933 with my divorce? Maybe? Well, let me just stab it right back in there. Yeah, perfect. So Davis was on the set of her film Dangerous, and she fell madly in love with her co-star, Francho Tone, and, like, she was obsessed with this guy. Like, she wanted to marry him desperately. And Joan decided, hmm, I think I like him too. And it wasn't much longer before they announced their engagement. And in a 1987 interview, Davis described the situation as she did it coldly, deliberately, and with complete ruthlessness. So then, Davis would then go on to win an Academy Award for her role in Dangerous, but Crawford was still not done tormenting her and and refused to congratulate her on her win. And when they were, I think they were done with the award show or something, um, Francho and Davis and Crawford were all together. Crawford would not turn around and even look at Davis, and Francho was like, turn around, you're being rude, and she turned around and, of course, had to make a snarky comment. So, in 1943, Crawford decided to try and make amends with Davis by sending her all sorts of gifts and flowers, but every last gift that was sent to Davis, she returned right back to Crawford. And... I don't know that I blame her for not allowing Crawford to just buy her way through an apology based on, of course, what we've seen so far, but I do think it's interesting that she tried to make some sort of amends. And in 1945, Crawford had her heart set out on playing the lead role in the latest film from Michael Curtis, Mildred Pierce, and was given the role after Davis declined, and in this role, Crawford won an Oscar for her performance, and keep in mind this wasn't the only film where Crawford landed a role originally intended for Davis, which is clear that the studios see a lot in common between the both of them, even if neither of them would ever admit it.
So the next little bit's kind of interesting and something I guess I never really knew about until now. And maybe the FX show touched on it, but I'm just not remembering it. I don't know, but in the 1950s, a rumor started that Crawford allegedly had a crush on Davis. And this was allegedly part of the reason that Davis didn't like her. And it's clear that Davis believed this rumor after declining a role in a women's prison film. And I can't state her exact quote on why she wouldn't do it, but she was adamant that she was not doing this film. And throughout her life, Crawford had both male and female romantic partners and was reportedly bisexual, but nonetheless, I don't know if the rumor is true or just that a rumor. And so, in 1952, Davis got an opportunity to get some revenge on Crawford after she depicted Crawford as a washed-up actress and diva in The Star, which was directed by Crawford's longtime friend, Catherine Albert. And what's interesting to know is that Albert and Crawford allegedly had a pretty rough falling out, and this was Albert's way to have a one last, like, screw you to Crawford. So in 1962, and this is kind of what I think a lot of people think of when they think of the feud between Betty and Joan, in 1962 they starred together in their only film together, which was Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which was about a former actress who is being terrorized by her deranged sister in their Hollywood home, and the former actress was played by Crawford, and the deranged sister was played by Davis. And this film was pretty successful in regards to how they thought it would go. I mean, they had no idea what was going to happen from this based upon what I'm about to tell you, but it did do pretty well. And to some extent, it kind of was a comeback that they both needed. Both of them were kind of being... I don't want to say blacklisted because that's not really the word, but kind of just marked by their studios as being difficult to work with and just not worth it. And so this film kind of helped them a little bit, but this film was also the most public documentation of their rivalry. And I told you that word was going to kill me, and it is. So... <laughs> So, for this film, Davis originally had, like, absolutely no interest. She's like, I am not working with her. I'm not getting anywhere near her. I am not doing this. But she eventually agreed to sign on after the film's director, Robert Aldrich, assured her of two things. She had two conditions in which she would play the role. And that was, of course, she would have the title role of Jane. And also, to bring up a past point, that she would not have to share any sort of bed or intimate space with Crawford. And also that she didn't want Crawford to have any more close-ups than she would have. 
So by this point, almost everyone, at least in Hollywood, knew that these two hated each other. And this film was kind of, I don't want to say the first time, but really where people who had no affiliation with anything really got to see that these two just had it out for each other. And there was just several things that took place during filming that proved this. And so one of the, like the tiny little petty things that took place was at this point Crawford was on the Pepsi's board of directors and her late husband Alfred Steele was a Pepsi executive. And so Davis decided to have a Coke machine installed in her dressing room just to spite Crawford. And in another scene where Jane, or Davis, beats Crawford's character Blanche, at this point Crawford was like, I do not trust Davis to not, like, kill me. Like, if she has an opportunity to, she's going to, and I want a body double. And the studio was like, we're not doing that. So this was a scene where they were like, we can't get a body double here because it's going to be too close up and there's no way. And Crawford was proved right that she couldn't trust Davis and Davis allegedly hit her super hard in the head. And other reports that say that it was enough to require stitches, but Davis insisted that she barely touched her. But, um, Crawford definitely got her payback during the filming of a different scene, and this is where Jane drags Blanche out of her bed and across the room, and Crawford knew that Davis had had back problems for several years, and so she was like, you know what, I'm gonna make this as difficult for her as I can possibly be. So she decided to just lay as stiff as she could and just be dead weight. And in some takes, she would fill her pockets with rocks or wear like a weightlifter's belt just to make herself like so much heavier. And she allegedly deliberately ruined several takes of this scene so that Davis would have to drag her again and again and again until she was in agony. And so there's a lot more that takes place on the set of this film. Again, I encourage you to look at the FX series Feud just to kind of see more insight onto what took place. I'm not going to sit here and dwell more into it because there's a bit more to get into, but again, I would consider looking that up. So where the real tea comes in is when it's Oscar time. And so even when the filming had wrapped up for the film, there was still a lot of tension. And as a result, the Academy opted to give Davis an Oscar nomination for her performance and completely overlooked Crawford. And so... Crawford was like, absolutely not. This is not happening. I deserve this. She does not. And so she created a bit of a campaign against Davis. And 
she made arrangements to make sure whatever happens she is getting up on that stage and as a result a lot of the other actresses who had been nominated were not able to attend the ceremony and so Crawford was like oh I'll accept the award on your behalf I'm more than happy to do so and so Anne Bancroft was one of the people not able to come and when she was announced as the winner for best actress that year Crawford went up on stage to accept the Oscar which is wild that is insane to me but I'm not surprised based on everything we've heard today and I think what's also funny but also like I can't believe she did that they took some pictures backstage of all the other winners and little Miss Crawford is standing backstage with the other winners some of the other winners Gregory Peck, Patty Duke, and Ed Begley posted up with an Oscar that she didn't win but of course anything to upstage Betty. So in 1964 there was set to be a sequel to Whatever Happened to Baby Jane Um, of course featuring both Davis and Crawford called Hush, Hush Sweet Charlotte and it was based off of a short story and in this film it was supposed to be Davis and Crawford's reunion on screen but as a different pair of women who were of course in an argument and about a week and a half of filming, Crawford was like, I'm not doing this anymore, claiming that she felt unwell and wasn't in the right position to be doing the film, but in reality, it was because she was afraid to be upstaged by Davis again. And what's interesting is that the director, Aldrich, hired a private detective to track down Crawford to try to bring her back to set at any and all cost but they were not able to do so and instead recasted the role and they had a hard time trying to find someone to take that spot but eventually Olivia de Havilland finally took the role and so Crawford died quite a few years before Davis and this quote is not really credible but um it's cited that Crawford said it or not Crawford but Davis said it about Crawford's death and allegedly she said you should never say bad things about the dead you should only say good Joan Crawford is dead good but like I said it's pretty much impossible to find an actual source for that statement but I do think that's kind of interesting that that's how she chose to end things. And so like I've been saying, there's a lot more to their feud than what I got into today. Of course, I recommend looking at the FX show feud. There's all sorts of YouTube videos on it. I did kind of the, not necessarily the Sparknotes version. I gave you more info than Sparknotes would, but I do think... There's a lot more to be covered than what I covered today, 
And if you like what you heard, make sure that you are following us on your favorite podcast streaming service so that you can be notified anytime we upload a new episode. We are currently, and I hope to keep it this way, operating where we post every other Monday. Hopefully, maybe sometime in the future, we can go to having an episode every week, but that is a huge commitment for a one-woman show, so... I mean, ideally, I would like to do that some, at some point, but currently, that's not possible. Um, make sure that you follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, at the Scoop W Sam. I don't post a ton on social media, but I do post sometimes like extra little tidbits from episodes, fun facts, and just different stuff like that. So make sure that you're following us there. We also have a merch shop. It's a nonprofit merch store, so if there's anything on there that you'd like, I don't make anything from it, but it's just an extra way. It's just an extra way to support the show beyond listenership. And I think that's about it. Can't think of anything else I would want to say. So yeah, thanks for listening. Bye.